Now we're uh, studying in chapter 11, and you remember we were in verse 14 uh, last time, where no counsel is, where uh, there is no uh, administration of the ropes, literally, uh, where where there is no one to steer, uh, no one to give direction. The people fall, but in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, it's that last uh, bit there that we want to talk about today. In the multitude, uh, the, the many, the great, the, it's an indefinite number of a large quantity, are long O, B, robe, and uh, <clears throat> it's used 147 times in the Old Testament. Uh, sec Second Chronicles uses it most in the historical accounts of uh, quantities of people or materials needed by kings. Uh, but uh, there, there is a, uh, a tremendous help when there is, when there is a, a comparison between uh, counselors and the, the recognition that out of that sometimes comes some wisdom. We also pointed out to you last week that in Jeremiah 38, uh, it, it points out that uh, it is possible to get too much advice. Uh, that is, too much wrong advice. And I think, I, I think a word of caution here is, is advisable. The book of Proverbs in several places tells us that we are to, we are to pay heed to a multitude of counselors. That is that uh, the, the basic teaching there is that, that simply narrowing down uh, a particular um, a decision without having the advice of others um, is, is often uh, misleading. Uh, a person can think, well, you know, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the wind there over the ways of death. And a person can uh, can go, uh, uh, just uh, go to his own counsel and decide to go a particular direction. It can lead to disaster uh, because he should have talked to other people. He should have gotten the, the slant and the opinion of other individuals, and he fails to do that. But there is also a danger, a tremendous danger, and uh, that is that uh, we run into this all the time, incidentally, uh, when we're, we're counseling here at the church. We'll find people who uh, come to us and uh, they want to know our opinion. And uh, they have that, call that opinion number one. And then they go to someone else and they get opinion number two. And then they go to someone else and they get opinion number three or maybe agrees with number two. And they pool all of these resources. Then they come back to number one and say, you're, uh, you're wrong because uh, ten other pastors disagree with you. And uh, particularly when what you're giving them is scripture. Um, I had one woman call and uh, tell me one day that, uh, that she had gone to the church where she had formerly gone and talked to the woman pastor there. And um, this woman pastor had disagreed with me. And uh, what she had said was that, well, what he is telling you is true to the Bible. However, there's a principle that is higher than the Bible. It's a principle of love. And uh, the principle of love should always be followed in preference to what the Bible says. And uh, so this gal thought she had me because she'd found a higher principle than the Bible. But you see, 
uh, it's an amazing thing. People that don't like the advice they get from one person often run to another person to try to find contrary advice. And they'll go to 15 different counselors till they find one that agrees with them. And when they do, then they found their counsel. And that's not what this is teaching. It's not saying you run around until you find someone who agrees with, with what you want to do and says, sure, that's all right, that's fine. See, that's uh, the, the, the way that uh, Freudian counselors counsel a lot of times is simply that. They say, well, what do you want to do? I mean, what do you feel like doing? And they'll say, well, I feel like doing thus and so. Well, that's the thing you ought to do then because you owe yourself that. And after all, you're, uh, it, it's you you have to think about. And uh, so the individual goes ahead and does it. And of course, it leads ultimately to disaster. What this text is teaching us is that you weigh your options. But I tell you this, after you've weighed all of your options, you had better choose the biblical option. And in the process, you may get some good uh, uh, nuances of advice. I often find that that uh, when I was um, uh, a married man and, uh, and was uh, away from home, that I, I liked to call my father. And I, I used to ask dad, okay, what do you think about this? And dad would give me advice. And uh, meanwhile, I would have, let's say there were three options that I had. And I would call dad and I would ask him. And I would have my own idea. And uh, sometimes after weighing what Dad said and weighing it against what I said, I decided I was wrong. And sometimes it led to the third option rather than the first. But at least the, the extra advice stopped me from doing what was, what was definitely wrong. And what, that's the way you use wise counsel. You listen to what other people say. You get their input. In fact, if you're a boss, you're really wise. If when making a decision concerning company policy, if you'll bring your employees or your, your department heads into, to, to, to you and say to them, now, uh, we're, we're contemplating some changes. I'd like to have your advice. And uh, uh, you, you ask that person and that person and that person. You may find all kinds of things. Some of them you have to throw out because they're just poor business policy. Other things you have to, you have to throw out because... Uh, they would be too costly, and uh, there's no way you could implement them. They're sort of a dream, uh, sort of a, uh, the, the idealistic idea. But some of them, you'll be able to glean from them certain things that will be of real help in making that decision. It, it's, it's only a fool that thinks he knows everything and thinks he has all of the facts, and so therefore he can go off and make a decision without anybody else. Uh, two are better than one because if one falls, then there's another one to lift him up, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. And, and I think that a threefold cord is not easily broken. Is another verse in Ecclesiastes. And you, you, you get uh, the advice of other people and it helps a great deal. Now, in this particular text, it's talking about government. And uh, it's talking about leading and ruling as far as the people are concerned. And it's very, very necessary to, to pool the advice, to have good advisors. And they must be advisors who are, who are uh, aware of what's happening, advisors who, who have a good perspective of life, and advisors who are going 
basically the biblical direction. That's the thing that would lead to the best kind of advice. Remember, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And one of the best ways to decide who is giving you the best counsel is to see two things. First of all, the result of that man's counsel to himself. The results in his own life. And secondly, the results in the lives of other people that he counsels. When you see a counselor that is turning people away from righteousness, then you want to push that, that counselor out of your list. He's not a good counselor. When you see a lifestyle himself that shows that he, that he has hang-ups that, that, that nullify the very counsel he's giving you, then you want to, you want to nullify him as well. That's why one of the things that we, we should be aware of is that the highest rate of suicides among any professional group is among psychiatrists. And uh, really, the, the basic reason for that is they're trying to solve problems for others that they haven't solved themselves. And it becomes a very harrowing thing for people to have people come in and look to you for advice when all of the time you are the one that's struggling with the same kind of problem and you're telling them all of the technical data that's supposed to help them and uh, it doesn't really help them does it because they uh, they don't uh, uh, you don't know the answer to that in your own life and that's why it's tragic uh, to to run uh, to to people who are are purporting to do marital counseling who can't hold their own marriage together uh, the uh, fellow came to the marriage counselor and uh, complained when he'd received the bill. He said, how, um, how, can, you, how can you charge so much? And uh, the fellow said, well, that, that's what uh, professionals like myself are getting. They said, well, why do you need to charge so much? You see so many patients. Well, he says, I've got to pay alimony for the first four wives. <clears throat> so <laughs> that's a marriage counselor for you. You have to be careful at the, what kind of counsel you're getting. You want to look at the results and the, the fruit in the, own, the, in the man's life himself. By his, their fruits, ye shall know them. And you are able to discern whether or not they're taking their own counsel or whether their own counsel has any validity by looking at them and looking at the people they counsel. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about counsel. We're not talking about just anybody. Now... The word counselors, used here in the plural, is the word ya'atz, which means to advise. First use in the Old Testament was in Exodus chapter 18. Let's just look at that a moment. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 19. Jethro, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, came to Moses. And he watched Moses do his thing in talking with the people and uh, in trying to meet all of their needs. And he gave him a great principle of leadership, which is a principle of delegation. It says in verse 17, And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away. And the word nabel means to... Uh, to wither, to wither away, to get uh, faint, to become faint, 
used in a human sense. Thou will surely faint, you will surely wear away, both thou and this people that are with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give you yaats, I will give you advice, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all of the people able men, men with moral strength actually, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. It actually <coughs> is uses the word for ruler, the word sar, which means the head of a class of people. They were they were divided into groupings, and uh, there was a there was a definite chain of command that was involved. Uh, as uh, some had more responsibility than others, and there would be there would be a hundred men here, and uh, one ruler would have a responsibility for those, but then they would be d divided into tens, and there would be another ruler that would have the responsibility for each of the ten, and there would be a chain of command. That was the principle uh, that Jethro gave. And it says, And let them judge the people at all seasons. It shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall go to their place in peace. Uh, there, are, there are some individuals, some very prominent individuals, I won't mention names, but who, who say that this was carnal advice. And uh, when they say that, they don't take into account a number of things. One is that uh, uh, this man, Jethro, uh, was considered a wise man. And uh, he also had some input into his son-in-law's life just simply because he was a father-in-law and considering the respect that God de desires uh, for the father-in-law um, it, there, there needs to be uh, needs to be understood that he had a right to to make this request. But the key factor to the whole thing was uh, if God commanded, he put it he put that condition on it that if this if God is in this thing, then we want to go ahead and do it. Uh, the basis on which some people have rejected it is that they claim that this became the eldership of the people which uh, later on down the line uh, crucified Christ. And uh, of course the elders of Israel were the ones that were involved in that. And that it was this setup, uh, they say, uh, that, that brought this about. If you check carefully, you'll find there were elders in Israel before this ever took place. There already were people who were recognized leaders, but they were not necessarily utilized in this way. And uh, so uh, I'm inclined to, to believe that, that uh, Jethro gave good advice. The reason I wanted you to turn to it is not only to see the word as it's used the first time in the Old Testament, but to realize that what the advice was, was that Moses needed people delegated with a responsibility to give advice, to give counsel. And the counsel he received from Jethro, 
then set up a, a means whereby uh, their advice could be given to people uh, in a better sense. Moses took the advice and the people's needs were met and with a New Testament principle, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When a burden is too heavy, there needs to be assistance and that's precisely what Moses did here. The word though also is used in 1 Kings chapter 12 in a very significant passage. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 8. And this helps to illustrate what I, what I taught you just a moment ago about this matter of of being careful the kind of advice you get. Don't take ungodly advice. And don't just listen to advice you want to hear. In 1 Kings 12, we have the, the story of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, and took possession of the 12 tribes of Israel after the death of Solomon. It says in verse 1, And Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all Israel was come to Shechem to make him king. Came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it. For he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. That they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke unto Rehoboam, saying, Now here is a deposed uh, potential leader among the people who for fear of King Solomon has been staying down in Egypt. But now is his opportunity to come and at least seek to negotiate uh, with uh, this young man, Rehoboam. And it says this, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and this heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter and we will serve thee. <coughs> and he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old man who stood before Solomon his father, all of the advisors that Solomon had accumulated while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? Here came a request. Reduce taxes. That is the wise thing to do. And they spoke unto him, saying, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. Now, is that good advice or bad advice? It's good advice. It's biblical advice. The leader is to be the servant. And when a leader is willing to serve the people, as David had done, then there will be a, a, a totally different reaction on the part of the people. What does it say in verse 8? But he forsook the yaats, the advice. He forsook the advice of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who were grown up with him and who stood before him. Instead of listening to the advice, of these old men with all of their experience. Remember, Scripture talks about having respect to the white-haired man, especially if his feet have gone in the way of righteousness. You have a man who has been a godly man, a man that has been a good man. That man has better advice by far than our contemporaries. But what happened with Rehoboam was peer pressure. Peer pressure. You see, especially you young people, listen to this now. 
you can almost always get your friends to agree with your point of view. You go to them and you say, my old man says I should do this. What do you guys think? And they'll say, well, what do you think you ought to do? Well, I think I ought to do the opposite. You're right all the way. I was driving down the street just yesterday. I saw a great big sticker in the back of a guy's window. It said, question authority. That's the attitude of today. And you can always find people who will say question authority. Always. How I'll tell you, if you want to find whether you have a real friend or not, you tell him what your dad says, and then if he responds by saying, you know, if your dad says that, he's probably wise counsel. No one knows you better than your dad. You better listen to him. If you get somebody tell you that, then you know you've got a real friend. But your peers will always go the way they feel like going. They'll operate subjectively rather than objectively. They look at the short range rather than the long range. The world is the limit of their horizon. All they can see is what they can see for the moment. And you start listening to the advice of your contemporaries who have a rebellious heart and who do not believe in, in, in the advice of, of older people and they think that there's a great generation gap and they think that, that uh, uh, the, the establishment has to be bucked you listen to the advice of those kind of people get you in trouble every time. Don't pay attention to the advice, to advice like that. Now Rehoboam made the mistake of, of giving way to peer pressure. I might just say that way back in the early studies that we did in Proverbs, we, we learned this principle in chapter 1 when it says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now the sinners here are really your peers, those that, that are your buddies, those that are your friends. If they try to entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let's lurk secretly for the innocent without cause, let's swallow them up alive as Sheol and, and whole as those that go down to the pit. They're, they're trying to get you to have, have part in some kind of a scheme that they say is harmless in itself, uh, but it'll be a big joke. It'll be a lot of fun. We, we'll ambush this guy and, and uh, you know, nothing will happen. It's, it's no big deal. And uh, he says, we're going to find all precious substance and we'll fill our house with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their paths. You take a sharp right at the next corner. You go the opposite way. You let them go their way. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they will lie wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. They walk into their own trap, into their own snare. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy of gain, who taketh away the life of the owners thereof. And in contrast to that, one is to heed to wisdom. Wisdom, crying in the streets, say, follow me before it's too late. And so you have to reckon on that, that, that time after time after time, you're going to be faced with the kind of advice that is going to lead you astray. Well, Rehoboam followed peer pressure. And as he followed peer pressure, he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men who were grown up with him and who stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye 
that we may answer this people who have spoken unto me saying make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter and the young men who were grown up with him spoke unto him saying thou shalt not thou, uh, uh, thus thou shalt speak unto this people who spoke unto thee saying thy father made our yoke heavy but thou uh, make thou it lighter unto us thus shalt thou say unto them my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins you think my father was tough you think he gave you a lot of taxes. You wait till you find out. My little finger's going to be thicker than my father's loins. The loin being the upper part of the, of the, the leg. And now wherein did my, fa uh, my father did burden you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him. That word counsel, verse 13 again, Yaatz. And spoke to him after the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father also chastened you with whips. I will chasten you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah uh, the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And so the kingdom was divided. And the ten northern tribes followed Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, of course, a number of things happened, the chain reaction of poor counsel. Rehoboam could have kept the kingdom united. With the united kingdom, there would have been united worship. And even though there would always be the tendency, as there had been even before, to apostasy on the part of the people, the thing that happened was that in the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes of Israel, there was not one single king who walked with God. And the ten northern tribes went very early in their history into uh, 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 captivity. The Syrians, the Assyrian forces came into captivity, uh, brought the people into captivity, and only Judah and Benjamin survived for a period of time. They were taken as well in 586 by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon and ultimately were, were returned. But the, the, the split up of the kingdom and the dispersing of those ten northern tribes came as a result of this very incident. Now, admittedly, God even allow, allowed the thing to happen, and he had a purpose in it. But nevertheless, from the human standpoint, it was peer pressure that caused the difficulty in the kingdom. Listen to good advice, to right advice. Weigh it out in the light of what God wants us to do. In 2 Kings chapter, uh, chapter 18, there's another incident that I believe is important for us to see in terms of this matter of a multitude of counselors and proper counsel. Second Kings chapter 18. You have beginning in verse 20. Thou sayest, but they are but vain words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now the setting of the story is the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, one of the godly kings of Israel. And Sennacherib, who is the Syrian leader, 
who had earlier taken the ten northern tribes into captivity, is seeking to break the will of the people in Judah. And uh, so he sends a messenger, and he says to the messenger, you have confidence in the counsel that you've received. But in that counsel, they've said that you can somehow eke out a victory over me. But that is poor counsel. And I want you to know that the advice that you've gotten is poor advice. It's lousy advice. And it's only going to be harder on you if you resist me. The advice that you've received is the wrong kind of advice. Now, where did Hezekiah get his advice? Well, he got his advice from God's prophets. And God's prophets had told Hezekiah, look, you are to, to uh, stand and God is going to give you the victory. So here he is caught on the horns of the dilemma. Because Sennacherib says, I'm strong, far stronger than you ever conceived, 185,000 soldiers, and we are besieging you, and you don't have a chance. Now give up right now. The sensible thing seems to be to give up. You're outmanned, you're outnumbered, but God says don't. Whose advice do you follow? The seemingly poor advice that is divinely given? Or the advice that, that seems to ring a bell as being the more sensible if you value your life at all. And so that's the, that's the picture that is laid out here in this 18th chapter. Thou sayest, but they are vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now notice, now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all who trust in him. The assumption of the part of Sennacherib was that the only way that Israel could survive was they must have made some kind of a pact with Egypt. And he's just basically saying, don't count on Egypt. Egypt is a two-faced double crosser anyway. You lean on his staff, you're going to pierce your hand. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not he, is not that he who, whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Just a minute, Sennacherib says. You say you're going to serve the Lord God, but you've got a problem here. This guy Hezekiah has torn down all of the altars. Now, you see, Hezekiah, or Sennacherib had a little problem with his theology. He didn't realize, of course, that the tearing down of the high places was pleasing to the Lord God of Israel, the God of the universe. But he had seen Hezekiah come in, and he figured the people are unusually weak. He's taken away the foundation of religion in the nation because God didn't require any high places, and a pagan king had no concept of, of worshiping anything without groves and high places and all of those things that, uh, that, are, that are so evident in paganism. He says, well, you, you, you say you're going to trust in the Lord God? Yeah, but where's his altar? Where's his high place? Where is his, where is his idol? He's, Hezekiah has even stripped you of your God. Now, therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee 2,000 horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. How then 
Wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. We have our orders from our God and uh, we're here to wipe you out. And we'll even give you some horses and let your riders ride out and face our men. Uh, we know that you don't have enough horses to go around anyway. So you just, we'll give you some armed horses, make the fight a little more fair. We're still going to wipe you out, all right? Well then, Eliakim the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah unto Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Aramaic language, for we understand it, and talk not with us in the Jews' language in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakna, which is a term, by the way, for a, for a, a, a leader, a ruler, said unto, unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men who sit on the wall that they may eat their own refuse and drink their own water with you? When the, then the Rabshakna stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spoke, saying, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his own fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. We'll make it easy on you, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and of honey, and ye, that ye may live and not die. Hearken not unto Hezekiah when he misleadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his hand, his, this, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvan and Hena and Ivah? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? pointing out that the ten northern tribes had already been captured by the Assyrians. Who are they among all the gods of the countries who have delivered their country out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Now that, by the way, is the right response to people like this. You don't even answer them. Christ didn't answer Herod, and Hezekiah, by the hand of the Lord, did not answer uh, the the uh, king of, of Syria. Then came Elakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah and the son the son of Asva, and uh, uh, the recorder to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, and told him the words of the Rabshakna. And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes. By the way, chapter 19 of 2 Kings is precisely word for word the same in Isaiah chapter 37. It's a part of Isaiah's prophecy as well as the historical record here. It says that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Elikim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. 
And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord thy God will hear all the words of the Ragshakna, whom the king of Assyria his master hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant who are left. So the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blight upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So the Rabshakeh returned, and found the king of Assyria warning, warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And when he had heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come to fight against thee. He sent messengers unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done unto all lands by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nation delivered them whom my father have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezba, and the children of Eden who were in Telassar? Where are the king? Where are the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the king of the city of uh, Sepharavim and Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter by the hand of the messengers and read it and Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. You ever do that? You get a, a letter that that hurts and uh, or causes you to have to make a decision or something like that. You get on your knees before the Lord and spread the letter before the Lord. Lord, read this. <laughs> We're in this thing together. You read this. Well, that's what Hezekiah did. And he prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, who dwellest between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all of the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. O Lord, open, uh, or open thy, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, who is sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they are no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of, thy, out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou alone. Now here's a man who has the very if you please, the slim counsel of, a, of one singular prophet. All of the people are frightened, wanting almost to give up. And here is a king who has good counsel and wise counsel and the right counsel. And he's getting counsel from the other side, from the enemy. And yet he is consulting consistently the Lord. The best counsel of all is given to one as he has an open Bible before him on his knees before Almighty God. God gives us counsel. He has given us a spirit of might and a spirit of counsel because the Lord Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor 
And when he tells us to do something, no matter what, no matter how many people you have that give you counsel, if the counsel is contrary to the word of God, don't follow it. Follow the thus saith the Lord in Scripture repeatedly. Well then, Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Assyria I have heard. This is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. And the daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord, hast said, With multitude of my chariots I will come to the height of the mountains on the sides of Lebanon, and will cut down the tall cedar trees and its choice fir trees, and I will enter the lodgings of its border and into the forests of its carmel. I have digged and drunk strange waters, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass, that thou shouldest be to lay waste fortified cities in ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field, as the green herb, as the grass on the, on the housetops, and grain blighted before it shall be grown up. But I know thou, thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rages against me. Sennacherib had all of this bragging. He could point at the destruction of cities. He could point at how people wilted before his great armies. It was the greatest military might in all of the world at that time. There was no nation that could stand against the might of the Assyrians. It was a tremendous, tremendous power. And yet, it says, Because thy rage against me and thy tumult come up into mine ears, God says, Therefore I will put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips. I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves. In the second year that which springeth of the same. And in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruits. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take, thy root, take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they who escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Has spoken. And the answer is, I am on the side of Hezekiah and the nation of Israel. Now, verse 35, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, hundred and eighty-five thousand. When they arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. One night, 
one angel and all of the hosts of the Assyrians were wiped out. It was an impossible situation. The servant of the Lord, Hezekiah, listened to the counsel that was wise because it was the counsel of God. He refused to capitulate to the enemy based upon what seemed to be human reasoning and seemed to make the best sense at the moment. What was being offered was you're going to get free passage. We're going to, we're going to, all we're going to do is conquer you and take away your arms and you'll be a free people. And why fight a losing battle? Why not just surrender and you surrender and we'll give you back your land and we'll go back into Assyria and you just become Assyrians? God says no. And Hezekiah stood before the Lord and poured out his heart and poured out his soul and God delivered him. But you see, Sennacherib was not among those who were slain. Remember what Isaiah said? He says, you're going to return by the way you came and you will fall by your own sword. Listen to the next verses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adram-Melech and Sharizner, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Erhadon, his son, reigned in his, uh, his stead. And so you, you have two of his sons sneaking up behind him as he's there worshiping his idol, smote him, killed him, and then one of his other sons took over the kingdom. Advice. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. And yet the most careful counsel and careful planning of a pagan army was wiped out because God wanted to show himself strong on the behalf of his own people. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 32... Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 28. It's talking about the danger that there would be in the nation of Israel of falling into sin. And uh, in this chapter, which is called so often the Song of Moses, it was really Moses' swan, swan song just before his last word and then being taken to Mount Nebo where the Lord took him home. You have the warning that the people should not forget the Lord God that they have served. But if they do, there was going to be pestilence that would come upon them and ultimately the conquering by the armies. It says in verse 26, I said I would scatter them into the corners. I would make them remembrance of them, make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath, done, hath not done all this. For they are a nation, notice now, for they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. One of the great signs that God has lifted his hand of blessing upon any nation 
is when that nation no longer has in high places wise counselors. Where there is, where there is a, an attitude that has so spurned counsel that counsel has turned away from them. They become a nation without counsel. We can thank God that even though we may have a, a lot of foolish counselors in high places, God has been pleased even yet to have some who have some sense, even in high political office. And we need to pray for those that really are seeking to follow the wisdom of God rather than the humanistic principles that are being expounded on every hand. And we need to pray that God will raise up more of their number because if we come to the place where we no longer have any wise counsel in high places, or those that are in high places are no longer listening to wise counsel, then our nation is surely doomed because it'll bring ultimate destruction when there is not that kind of wise counsel. In Proverbs chapter 1, we referred to that just moments ago when we were talking about peer pressure. We mentioned that wisdom gives its counsel. And it says in verse 20, wisdom crieth outside. She uttereth her voice in the street. She cries in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city. She uttereth her words saying, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hateth knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. Wisdom gives counsel. Wisdom gives yahats. It gives advice. They're just good advice. We, we're we're going to be talking next week about, about this matter of, of, of uh, striking hands or being surety or guaranteeing another person's debt. That's some good advice. Tells you not to do it. You know, we get people coming through our offices, the staff, time after time after time in trouble. Why? Because they did that very thing. They guaranteed another man's debt. That's just a simple thing. It's something that's done all the time. Co-signing a note for someone else. Guaranteeing to pay back his debt if he doesn't come through with it. And you'd say, well, isn't that a Christian thing to do? Well, good advice, the wisdom of the book of Proverbs tells us it's dumb. It's stupid. You shouldn't do it. There are better ways of handling things. In fact, the way that God tells us to, is much better is to give the person what he needs if you have it. That way you don't have to worry about somebody repossessing what you own. You just simply allow him to have what he needs if, if it's, a, if it's a, a, a good thing. We have people all the time, especially in this day and age where it's so difficult to, to get into a house, uh, to get someone to co-sign uh, a note with you guarantee the other person's uh, ability to pay. God says it's not so smart. God says you're stupid. God says don't do it. It's good advice. People do it anyway. They get in trouble. They may get away with it once, maybe even twice, but eventually it catches them. And they wish they hadn't done it. And then they find out that God gave them that advice. 
God gives us all kinds of advice. There are a lot of things where he doesn't say it's a sin to do that. He doesn't say it's, it's a sinful thing. You're terribly awful, bad person if you co-sign another note. God doesn't say it's a sin. He says it's just stupid. Shouldn't do it. There are better ways of handling it. And you see, we need to see the things that God says are smart and the things that God says are dumb, as well as the things that God says are right and the things that God says are wrong. We need to learn that. We need to understand that. And when, when you hear his counsel, don't set it at naught. Don't say, oh, that's nothing. I'm not going to pay attention to that. I know better than that. Because here's what happens. Now, this is wisdom speaking. Now, not God speaking. This is wisdom speaking. And uh, wisdom, is, wisdom is personified here as though it was a person. Wisdom comes along and says, don't do that. It's not smart. You go ahead and do it anyway, setting it not the counsel, and wouldn't have any of the reproof. What happens? Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I won't answer. Doesn't do any good to say, wow, I'm going to go back and ask wisdom's help. Because you see, wisdom, once it's been scorned, no longer can help you in the area in which you've scorned it. Wisdom becomes helpless. It becomes impotent, unable any longer to get you out of that jam. So it says, you'll call upon me, but I won't answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own ways. You made your bed, you're going to lie in it. And be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. And shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Listen to the wisdom of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. You always think that you know best. One more. Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou may be, mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart, verse 21. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. Listen to his wise counsel. It'll stand you in good stead. You can count on that counsel leading you to the right way. So the multitude of counselors in his final analysis is the counsel that you receive from people who have ordered their life according to God's wisdom. The best source of a multitude of counselors is see what David said, what Solomon said, see what Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and uh, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and, and see what Jesus Christ and see what, see what uh, uh, a lot of these others uh, that have written scripture uh, have said. That is the best multitude of counselors that you can possibly find. Order your life according to God's holy word. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this hour together, for that which we gain 
as a result of being here. We pray that we will go now. We pray that we will be careful to follow that wisdom which is from above, which is first of all pure and then peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of good, good fruits. And we pray that you will help us to follow the advice of wisdom rather than merely the advice of the ungodly. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.